0: Hello wise and wicked friends. Today we are having a spooky Halloween special. Come with me on a little journey as we delve into some good old-fashioned ghost stories. Today we'll be delving into three different stories of haunted areas in Ireland. Hello and welcome to The Wise and the Wicked. My name is KJ. I have started this podcast as a means to educate myself and whoever is listening about different historical facts and figures which you may or may not have heard of. This means we look at all things crime, history, the problematic ones and the problem solvers. Today I am carrying on with the spooky theme here, I wanted to tell some good old-fashioned ghost stories and keeping it within the Irish stories seemed pretty fitting. I had actually only heard of one of these beforehand so I found them all pretty fascinating and I hope you do too. Before we jump in, I know not all of you are into stories about things that go bump in the night so if you're not a fan of horror or ghost stories, maybe today's episode isn't for you. I will be back on Saturday with the usual bi-weekly episode, so if you need to give this a miss, that's no problem. We will be discussing all things spooky along with some graphic descriptions and descriptions of murder and suicide. So listener discretion is advised as usual. For those of you who are sticking around for the spooky vibes, let's get cracking. So, as we know, Irish are storytellers and we're a pretty superstitious bunch as well. There are many, many tales of witches, fairies, banshees, puka, changeling, you name it, we got it. Our spooky little island is home to many historic houses, castles and fortresses that are renowned for being haunted by those who once inhabited them. It is actually pretty hard to narrow these down just to three stories. So with this in mind, I'll be looking at three distinctly different places and the stories behind them. So today's episode starts in County Offaly. County Offaly is one of Ireland's inland counties, largely covered in bogland. This county lies snug between the River Shannon on the east and the Sleeve Bloom Mountains on the south. Home to some of Ireland's most well-known castles, one of which is the setting for our first story today, Kennedy Castle. So, Kennedy Castle has a long and very rich history. The stunning Gothic-style castle was first constructed sometime in the 11th century. It was first knocked down in 1209 and rebuilt by the Normans in 1213. While the Normans were in control of the castle, they built an Augustinian abbey. The castle went on to have many owners and much later then, in 1922, the castle was burned down by members of the Irish Republican Army. Then it was rebuilt in 1928 and used as a forester training college until around 1994. And in 1994, it was bought by the Ryan family of Limerick. And the Ryan family turned it into what it is today, which is a luxury hotel. It is said that there was actually very little reconstruction done quite purposely to form the hotel, as its new owners wanted to keep it within its former glory as much as possible. So that means to this day, it contains many narrow hallways, creaky floorboards and the original mouldings. The castle today is a very popular hotel and wedding destination. Many go there to visit the ghosts that are often seen wandering its hallways. The walls of the abbey that was built by the Normans still remain in place to this day. It is within that abbey that our first story takes place. For those of you who don't know, an Augustinian abbey is a religious institute that follows the rules of St. Augustine, essentially a community of Catholic monks or friars who live a life of prayer, contemplation, and service to God and others. In the 13th century, the Abbey at Kennedy Castle was home to a group of such monks. These monks devoted their lives to their Abbey. To become such a monk at this time, they would have to take a series of vows which were integral to the monistic way of life. And such vows included obedience, poverty, and most importantly, chastity they were not allowed to date or engage in any romantic or sexual relationships. So, the legend says, During the 13th century, there was a young monk living in the abbey at Kennedy Castle. This young monk was said to be very tall, extremely handsome and friendly to everyone he met. He had taken the necessary vows and steps to devote his life to the abbey and to his faith. This young monk was proud of his choices and happy to dedicate his life to his parish. One day, the young monk spotted a young local woman from a nearby village. She was about the same age. He was captivated by her beauty and could not take his eyes off her. She seemed to be looking his way and smiling back. The young monk did not know what to do. Such feelings were not only forbidden, but the punishment for such actions is so severe. The young monk did not do anything at first, but the more he saw the young woman and the more he spoke to her, the more his feelings grew and grew. Neither of them could resist and they decided to keep their love a secret. They would hide their feelings, stealing glances and glimpse of each other in passing, while meeting in secret later on. The forbidden love was exhilarating for the two lovers. However, it wasn't before long that their forbidden relationship was discovered. The young monk knew that the punishment would be severe and he had no idea how severe it would actually be. He was the first of their group to be caught for such indecent behaviours, and therefore his punishment was both retribution for his transgressions, but also he was used as an example for the other monks not to break their vows. The punishment given to the young monk was to be buried alive. Standing still within the walls of the castle, bricks were placed around him, never to be seen again. It is said that the doomed monk continues to haunt Kennedy Castle to this day. Many visitors and staff have reported sightings of the tall, handsome and affable monk. Known in more modern times as the Phantom Monk, he has been spotted mostly in the banquet hall of the castle and in the castle's dungeons. Often identifying himself as Hugh, the monk is seen sporting a long black cloak with a shadowy face that lacks features the phantom monk or Hugh whichever you prefer is known as very friendly very talkative and loves big events many visitors have reported stories of conversations with the phantom monk reporting that he foretold future events to them and gave them very accurate information some guests have even reportedly seen the phantom monk as a solid figure and actually mistaken him as a living person it is said that the phantom monk is not the only ghost that can be found within the castle there are two bedrooms of the hotel that are very commonly requested for guests to stay in they are known to be visited by ghosts also these rooms are located in the attic part of the castle known as the geraldine and elizabeth rooms both guests and staff have reported sightings of a full-bodied spirit of a little girl whose footsteps and laughter can be heard up and down the hallways of the castle. The other ghosts, commonly seen, is a wife of Thomas Bernard. I assume he was a previous castle owner. She is known as Lady Catherine and she can be found standing in the Geraldine Room. Many paranormal fanatics go to stay in Kennedy Castle to the hope to catch a glimpse of one of these ghosts. The TripAdvisor site for the hotel is filled with reports of various sightings. For our next story, we will be going south to Kinsale, County Cork. Kinsale is a beautiful town tucked away in the estuary of the River Bandon. Right on the edge of Cork. It portrays a picturesque, colourful little seaside town with a backdrop of the glorious estuary. However, despite its beauty, Kinsale is known for being one of the most haunted towns in Ireland. One of which is the tragic story of the White Lady of Kinsale. So our story takes place in Charles Fort, which is about 1.5 kilometres away from the centre of Kinsale. This fort was first built between 1677 and 1682 during the reign of Charles II. It was constructed as a fortress to defend against attacks from enemies that were approaching by sea. Until approximately 1922, Charles Fort was used for various military purposes. The fort suffered much damage after its many years of service and following this, in 1973, the fort was declared an Irish national monument and its ruins are a very popular tourist attraction. Many tourists go to visit the historically significant monument for its place in history, but others go with the hopes of getting a glimpse of the white lady who has been seen wandering around the fort. Legend has it that widower... Colonel Warrender became commander of Charles Fort and he moved there with his only daughter, Wilful. Wilful was a bright, beautiful young woman. After their move to Charles Fort, it wasn't before long that Wilful met one of the soldiers, a man named Sir Trevor Ashurst. Soon the pair fell madly in love and they decided, much to the Colonel's delight, to get married. They had a glorious happy wedding day filled with many celebrations. That same evening after their long wedding day, the newlyweds, still in their attire, decided to go for a walk around the vast, beautiful grounds of the fort. While they were walking along the ramparts, Wilful noticed some beautiful flowers at the base of the battlement. In an effort to make his new wife even happier, Sir Trevor said that he wanted to climb down and fetch them for her. As he was now the son-in-law of the commander, one of the other soldiers thought it would be best for him to go down instead and only asked that Sir Trevor would watch his post while he made the journey to collect the flowers. Sir Trevor agreed and told Wilful to head up to bed and he would soon be up to deliver the newly collected flowers. Wilful went off to bed and Sir Trevor went and sat at the young soldier's post and waited for his return. The soldier, however, took a little bit longer than expected, and Sir Trevor, after a long and joyous day, suddenly felt exhausted when he sat down and drifted off to sleep. Meanwhile, Colonel Warringer was making his nightly rounds, checking on the soldier's standing guard before he retired to bed. Through the moonlight, he could see that one of his guards was asleep at his post, and he was horrified. Colonel Warringer was known as being an extremely strict commander, and this sort of behaviour simply would not do. In anger, the commander shouted for this man to get up. Now in a deep sleep, Sir Trevor did not stir. This enraged the commander even more, and without hesitation, he took out his pistol and shot the man. There was no room for subordination among his guards, he thought. The commander slowly approached the dead man to see just who it was who disobeyed him. Horrified, the commander realised it wasn't a young guard he shot. It was his beloved son-in-law. Medical attention was quickly sought, but it was no use. Sir Trevor was dead. Devastated, the commander was now tasked with explaining to his daughter what had happened. Wilful was distraught. Not only was she widowed but at her father's hand on her wedding night. Overcome with both grief and rage, Wilful threw herself from the ramparts into the icy water below. It is said that as a result of both killing his son-in-law and now witnessing his daughter's suicide, the commander took his own life that very same night. Since that fateful day, there have been many reported sightings of Wilful, who now appears as a as the white lady named so as witnesses have spotted her wandering around the vast grounds still in her wedding dress. Her ghost is described as beautiful and sad. Some say the white lady wanders around the grounds searching for sleeping soldiers so she can wake them. Others say she appears only to children. One account is of two sergeants who were packing up some equipment and one of the men's daughters turned and asked who was the white lady smiling at her both men saw nothing but the child gave a full account of what she saw. She was adamant the white lady was present. Another account came from a local nurse who in the hospital one evening went to check on a sleeping child when she saw the white lady standing over the child's bed. There are many accounts of sightings of the white lady both by locals to can sail and visitors. One local reported that one evening he was out for his usual run along the walls of the fort. He stopped briefly to tie his shoelaces as it came undone. While he bent down to retie it, he placed his hand on the wall of the fort to steady himself. When suddenly he felt a hand reach out and hold his to keep him steady. While most accounts of the White Lady are friendly, there have been some negative reports. Many soldiers reported hearing disembodied groans within the walls of the fort. Two soldiers reported being attacked by an angry spirit. They said they had been thrown downstairs and rendered unconscious. In 1922, the fort's medical officer was reportedly dragged from outside his room and thrown down the stairs. He reported seeing a young woman in a wedding dress. In Sale, locals are said to have seen Wilful's father, Colonel Warrender, as well. He is said to appear as a grief stricken man, sobbing uncontrollably. <laughs> For our third and final story today, we are going to look at Hook Peninsula in County Wexford. Hook Peninsula is known as the pinnacle of Ireland's ancient east, as it is an entry point for many historic newcomers, which included, obviously, Vikings, Anglo-Normans and the English. Hook Peninsula is home to oldest White House in Ireland as well, and it is the setting of our story today, Loftus Hall. Saving the best until last here, I think, this story has been one that my family have been telling for years in 1170, a Norman knight named Raymond La Grosse landed on Hook Peninsula. He soon claimed the land of which now lies the Loftus Hall and built himself a small castle. In 1350, the knight changed his name to Redmond in order to fit in with Irish society and he built the main house, calling it Redmond Hall. The Redmond family would inhabit this house until the 1650s. The house was first attacked by English soldiers in 1624, as the owner at the time had made it known that his alliances lied with the Irish. When he died in 1650, the house and land were seized by English forces and was given to a wealthy English family, the Loftus family. Thus came the name Loftus Hall. The Loftus family lived the property until the 1800s, during which the house was refurbished completely while keeping the original structure. The renovations took place between 1872 and 1884. During this time, there was a gruesome discovery. While the renovations were carried out in the tapestry room, there were skeletal remains found hidden in the walls. On further inspection, It was realised that these remains were that of an infant. But before these were found, there had been stories of hauntings in the property for years. So as the story goes, while the Loftus family were still inhabiting the house, it was owned by a man named Charles Tottenham. He became Lord of the Manor when he married Anne Loftus and took her name. Anne Loftus passed away and left Charles with their six children. Charles soon remarried his cousin Jane Cliff and of the children there were two daughters, one of which was named Anne, after her mother. As previously mentioned, Hook Peninsula was a gateway for many ships into Ireland. These shores were very busy and it was customary for some to seek shelter within Loftus Hall. One blustering Night there was a storm. The family heard a knock at the door. Someone seeking shelter, perhaps. When they answered the door, they saw a very tall, very handsome stranger. And he asked if he could stay in the house to wait out the storm. And so he did. This particular storm lasted many days and even weeks. And the handsome stranger stayed with the family, Now a young woman, Anne Loftus, befriended the stranger, chatting with him in the tapestry room until the small hours of the night. Anne was infatuated with the tall, handsome stranger. Some even say they were lovers. It wasn't just Anne that the handsome stranger made an impression on, however. Everyone in the house was very fond of him. In the evenings, it was common for the various inhabitants of the house to sit together and play a game of cards. One night, a card game was in full swing when Anne dropped one of her cards on the floor. As she bent down to retrieve her dropped card, she noticed something unusual under the table. It was the handsome stranger. In the place of his feet were cloven hooves. Anne let out an almighty scream of terror. And just with that, the handsome stranger was no handsome stranger at all. He exposed himself as the devil. and With that, he burst into flame and disappeared up through the roof in a ball of fire. It is said that the hole he left in the roof could never be repaired. After this, Anne fell into a state of shock that she could never recover from. It is said that as a result of the fright, Anne lost her mind. Her family decided to lock her away in her favourite room, the tapestry room. There it was reported that Anne would sit with her knees at her chin and stare out the window all day long. She soon stopped eating and drinking until she died. It is believed that Anne died sitting in the same position and she was buried the exact same way. Some say that the family locked her away to protect her. Others say they were ashamed of her and others say that she was locked away because she was pregnant, the scandal of which had to be hidden by the family. Some believe that the skeletal remains that were found in the wall of the very room she was locked in were those of the child she carried as a result of her secret rendezvous with the handsome stranger. Upon realising this, her family hid her and her child away for fear that it was the devil's child the remains of which were buried in the walls. Anne's passing was of no relief. Both her family and those that worked in the house report seeing her ghost wandering through the house at night. For years to come, it was reported sightings of Anne throughout the house. There were claims of poltergeist disturbances. In the 1800s, a priest named Father Thomas Broders was hired to perform an exorcism in the house he said he sensed a demonic presence and allegedly the priest could not perform the exorcism in the tapestry room. Therefore, the demonic presence still remains. Many visitors to Loftus Hall have since reported feeling very uneasy within the house. Some heard strange noises, even seen orbs, and some have heard the sounds of horses' hooves within the house. There have been many reports of poltergeist activity and some visitors have even suffered panic attacks as a result of being within the house. The ghost of Anne Loftus is said to even show up in people's photographs. Loftus Hall has changed many hands throughout the years. In 2011, the Quigley family purchased it, restored it and made it into a tourist attraction. Later in 2020, it was put up on the market again and it was bought by a very famous company, Press Up. It is said that they plan to turn it into a luxury hotel. So there are my spooky stories this Halloween. I hope you enjoyed them. I would love to hear from you if you have any ghost stories yourself and if you have visited any places that we talked about today and if you saw anything there. You can comment or DM me on Instagram, or you can email at KJ at the wise and the Thank you for listening to our Halloween special. I look forward to hearing from you.